Hello everyone. Welcome to Ruth is Stranger Than Fiction. Hi, Chris. Hello. Hello. Um, we've got a mini stranger for you today. Today's topic, I'm getting straight in there, is about strange stones. <laughs> you find it amusing. I mean, it just sounds quite dull. <laughs> well, that's a worry. That's a worry if you're coming in straight off. Well, stones. You can convince me otherwise. Are they dull? There's a question. A geologist would tell you no. They're fascinating. Yeah. There is a concern. That stones are dull, but I think the thing with these stones... They're strange. They're strange, so hopefully they're not dull. And actually, as ever, we find with these things, the stones themselves are not the focus. What instead is the focus is the stories about the stones. Oh, they're merely a portal. Uh, They are merely a a cipher. Yes, that's probably what I meant. They could be a portal. That would be great. (laughs) (laughs) A portal through which... If you started off in Norfolk and you ended up via the medium of the stone portal... Existing outside of space-time. Existing outside of space and time. Or maybe you just turn up in, like, Portugal or somewhere. Or just Suffolk. (laughs) You just were transported to elsewhere in East Anglia. Yeah, it's very practical. Yeah, that could be good. Yeah, a teleportation stone. Anyway, no, that's not what we're talking about. We're drinking a homebrew. It's a different one than you've heard us drink before. I'm just going to get Chris to give a very quick rundown, because I know some of you are interested in our our constant homebrewing. Tell us, Chris. Well, it was an attempt to try and make a beer that tasted a little bit like Harvey's Sussex Best. So essentially it's the grain and hop bill of Harvey's Sussex Best, but the yeast strain used by Harvey's is basically not something you can get your hands on these days. Do they grow it special in a big well, it, in a they, big factory? Yeah, but they've cultivated the same yeast strain for, you know, a hundred years or something like that. I see, and it's and not... And you used to be able to buy a Sussex yeast strain which was supposedly the Harvey strain, but it was a brew lab slope. I mean, you don't seem to be able to get them anymore. And so our yeast is just run-of-the-mill shit. Yeah, basically. Yeast. I think I read somewhere that the Harvey's yeast strain, I think it, like, it was originally like branched off of some Yorkshire strain or something. Okay. So I think this is some Yorkshire Should ale Should we yeast. call it a variant? <laughs> Why not? It's a yeast variant. <laughs> the yeast variant. Anyway, as a consequence, the beer doesn't taste really that much like Harvey's. Best, However, it's, it's very, very tasty. Yeah. It's got a nice amber colour, yeah. I'd say. It's good. Um, We haven't got a name for it, though. So if you've got a name, write in. Let me know. On the subject of which, we have got a couple of listener comments relating to previous episodes, which I'm just going to have a quick tell you of because, you know, they add some elements of interest. A new notes and queries section. A notes. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Not corrections because we haven't made any mistakes. (laughs) We haven't made any mistakes anyone's told us about. No, they're too embarrassed to tell us about our mistakes. But we've got some, uh, a few clarifications on things. Uh, Just people that know more about stuff than us telling us things. I'd like to just make it clear as well. This isn't, you know, really, it's not historical facts. It's trivia. So the first thing Do you remember, dear listeners, when we were talking about the terrible murder of Alice Lorne, which happened on King Street in Cambridge in 1921? We were talking about the King Street run, the pub crawl, 
And we were talking about the capacity of the human bladder. It was the thing that occupied me most. Yeah, you were very concerned about it, as was I as someone who really, you know, on a pub trip, I have a lot of toilet visits. So we had a comment from lovely Zav. He sent us a comment, and I think he is a scientist. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, he knows what he's talking about. He would like to shed some light on the exploding bladders, he says. (laughs) Let's have no exploding bladders here. He says, as well as the extra volume of liquid, the main factor involved in the inevitability of a toilet dash is the fact that alcohol is an inhibitor of the antidiuretic hormone ADH to you. So the more you drink, the more your body wants to get rid of liquid. Seems logical. That's why hangovers are partially due to dehydration. Because your body has purged itself of all liquids. So it's not only that you're drinking a lot, it's that your body wants to send it away immediately. That's science. That's science for you. The trouble for me is I've got my that stupid womb using up space that could be used for my bladder. (laughs) You don't have that problem. (laughs) My bladder is running free and easy. (laughs) Think of all the space it's uh, filling to... I'd happily fill that womb with urine instead of a baby. <laughs> oh. <laughs> okay, your so your that, own urine, it should be added. That was our first thing. Not so the urine of someone else. No, my own urine. Yeah, oh my Lord. It's taken a turn. You said stones were boring. We haven't got to the stones no. yet. So thank you, Zav. That is an additional bit of information about alcohol and the need to urinate that we didn't have before. The second piece of information we have learned pertains to our most recent episode, the Felstead Hag, when we discussed OC Island. I said it's been bought by a record producer. It's owned by a record producer. I asked you who that was. I didn't know. I'd done shoddy research. And listener and friend Barney, hello Barney, he says it's Nigel Frieda, inventor of the Sugar Babes. (laughs) In all their myriad forms. In all their, maybe just the first form. That makes them sound like robots. Well, it's like a hydra, isn't it? You slice off one sugar babe and another sugar babe grows in its place. But I think the first three sugar babes were the best three. Yeah, I think you're probably right. They had the classic hits. Yeah, they they were the the top. top Although, had one of them left by the time of Freak Like Me? No, I don't think think so. I think uh, Shannon, what was her name? Shannon Doherty? No, she's from Beverly Hills 90210, isn't she? Yes, she is. What was she called? She was called Shannon something, wasn't she? No, Siobhan. Siobhan. Doherty. Barney, can you just write in and tell us what the sugar babes are called, please? <laughs> I think I think she left by the time a freak like me. That's Maybe saying. she definitely was on overload though. Yeah, well, that was their first single. Yeah, great. So uh, Nigel Frieda owns the whole of OC Island, right. and he's made it a paradise for the creation of sugar babes and the recording of records. Pop hits. Great. So thank you. We're always keen to hear because let's be honest, I do the best I can, but I'm never going to cover everything, am I? I can't learn all about the human urinatory system it's also nice in these lockdown times to imagine some extra voices feeding in yes not just you and i nattering away i should have done zav's contribution in a french voice (laughs) no okay no no the voice of a french scientist you'll just have to imagine it okay so thank you we might have some more next time there's there's some um uh, relating to boot house we've got some interesting leads So that could be coming next time. So you'll have to wait and see. Right. Stay tuned for more notes and queries. Exactly. Stones? Why not? (laughs) Why not? But are they dry? Dry stones. Recently, we were doing the private eye crossword and there was a clue and we just could not get the clue. It turned out the reason we couldn't get that clue is we'd got another clue wrong. But anyway, and it was about, it was something about having the snip. And in our minds, we made up the word dry stoned to mean having had a vasectomy. (laughs) 
It fit with all the letters. And we it did fit with it all the very letters. Plausible. And we thought dry stones, yeah, that could that could mean having had the snip, because your stones, your bollocks, they're dry because I mean it didn't quite work. No, because technically they're not dry, are they? <laughs> I know, but it, we thought it might have been a kind of a slang, a slang yeah, word yeah. for having had the snip dry stoned. The answer was shortened. It was nothing to do with dry stoned bollocks or anything. Anyway, stones. That's put you in the mood for some stone chat. We're going to talk about Norfolk Okay. today. We're going to talk about glacial erratics. <laughs> Back on GCSE geography again. <laughs> yes, although I never learned about glacial erratics. Glacial... Yeah, a glacial pace, you would say, wouldn't you? So do you know what they are? No. Okay, I'm going to tell you what they are first. Let's start off with that. Because each of the three stones we're going to talk about today are indeed an erratic of the glacial nature. (laughs) Now, what these stones are, they're large, or they can be small, but in this case we're talking about large ones. Stones or rocks that are different in, often in size, but also in type, in geological makeup, very different to all the other stone and rock in the area. And what's happened is that these stones have been carried on ice movements back mm, in right. in the Ice Age or whatever, you know, hundreds, thousands of years ago. They've been moved from where they started out to where they currently sit. Norfolk the, being the end of the flow. In this case, yes. So, But you get them all around the country and all around the world. But So we have some in Norfolk. Invasive that, species. <laughs> invasive rock. Yeah, so they've been carried to Norfolk from maybe Yorkshire, maybe as far away as Scandinavia, carried and then dropped by the ice melting. And here they sit, slightly strange, unfamiliar, Mm. alien stones in the Norfolk landscape. They can range in size from tiny pebbles to giant boulders. Not going to spot a tiny pebble, are you? Not us, no. A geologist might. A keen-eyed geologist. A keen-eyed geologist, but not us, uh, and not most people. So what we're looking at today is three glacial erratics, which are large. And because of their slightly odd alien nature, they've got some interesting stories which have grown up around them. Do you want to hear? Yeah, all right. Okay, so they've got some stories in terms of things like local ritual, superstition, history... They have acted in the past as uh, sites of worship, maybe boundary markers, because they're quite, you know, look very significant and different to things around them. Gathering places, uh, all these kinds of things that, you know, anything that stands out in the landscape could come to be significant in a a local area. Do you remember The Lantern? The Lantern, the The um, the journal of... uh... The Unexplained Phenomenon. I do, yeah. I've got some more stuff from there today. Great. They're... Is one particular man who has written quite a bit about the strange stones of Norfolk in the Lantern. His name is M. W. Burgess. So some of what I'm about to recount comes from comes from his investigations from the Lantern, and some is just from general internet, hidden East Anglia, all that kind of thing. Now, first though, I think it's interesting to note that a lot, as I say, a lot of these rocks were used as pagan places of worship and took on significance for gatherings, rituals, that kind of thing. But what we also see through Norfolk, Suffolk and elsewhere in the country as well is that when Christianity was starting to become the kind of dominant religion, these big stones would often kind of be built into the new churches. Right. So there's quite a few places in, in East Anglia where... One wall is just a massive bowl. Exactly. Or, <laughs> yeah, or they've like built it into the building right. it's or the walls of the church easier than moving it 
<laughs> and because because you're kind yeah. of trying That's to encompass anyway. Yeah, you're trying to encompass That's these the case, isn't it? A lot of the um, the Christian stuff, isn't it? Has has been just uh, accommodating previous rituals. Yeah, kind of trying to turn people around to your ways by saying, "Oh, you can still carry on doing that stuff that you were doing before. Just sure. come and do it in our place instead." So you can still come to this big rock, but now there's a church all around it. So <laughs> how do you like that? <laughs> Tricks. So, for example, uh, Beckles in Suffolk, the churchyard wall of the Church of St Michael's has a glacial erratic sort of embedded in the wall. They built the wall around it. How out of proportion is it with the rest of the wall? Is it literally a massive boulder the size of a tall man? No, no, no. So it's not the, the it's not higher than the wall, but it's one massive rock, and then the rest of the wall is small rocks. But and and it doesn't protrude from on the wall. So a, a bit, a bit, but not too much. And the, as I say, these rocks are all different sizes and things, but it's the large ones that became significant. Also, Thwaite, Galston apparently had had one built into the church but that was broken up in the 1700s and the rocks were distributed about the town now the name Gaulston is the stun in stun a stone Ooh, did it come from Gaul I, d- I don't know how's Gaul spelled G-O-R-L-E-S ah. I wonder if, wonder if yeah. it was either G-A-U-L like in France or G-O-O-L-E like in Yorkshire interesting but we see how how the later religions tried to encompass earlier paganistic beliefs and that kind of thing co-op the stones co-op the stones exactly but the stones that we are talking about today have not been so co-opted they remain they still stand free they stand free from churches or walls or all this sort of thing so we're going to hear about three such stones today as i say there's a lot more but we can't do them all can that's we? a podcast series in itself it's insane and that would be boring stones of norfolk every episode another stone yeah why not M.W. Burgess would probably love it. (laughs) Here are the stones we're going to talk about today. Okay. The Great Stone of Ling, the Stockton Stone, and the Merton Stone. And I think through these stones, we see quite a few of the different themes that develop in the stories around them. We won't get there for a while, but just to give you a little teaser, one of them is involved in quite a lot of debauchery. Oh, great. So we'll get to debauchery. But first, we must have... Ghosts, blood, and curses. Oh, they're good. Um, preemptive. Um, yeah. yeah. Okay. So first of all, let's start with the Great Stone of Ling, and this was suggested by our listener Claire, who lives near Norwich. And the Great Stone of Ling, I think, is not too far from where she lives. And thank you, Claire, for suggesting it. This was quite some months ago, but we have got round to it eventually. Ling is not too far from Norwich. Uh, it's situated amidst a series of small lakes around the River Wensum which will be known to cheese fans. Winston Blue. Winston Blue. I've outed myself as a cheese fan. (laughs) I don't think it was in any doubt. And this glacial erratic is made of conglomerate stone, many kinds sort of compressed together. It was left here at the end of the last ice age. It's about two metres long, 1.5 metres wide. Try to imagine it. Mm -hmm. It's big and it's sort of, uh, if you like, it's landscape format. So it's (laughs) on its site. It's been described as resembling a squatting toad, this great stone of Ling. And there are several different myths and legends pertaining to it. The stone is located in a dark area of the woods of oak and holly trees, known as the Grove or the King's Grove. The king in question is St Edmund, who was ruler of East Anglia from 855 to 896. East Anglia was an autonomous region? I guess so. I mean, I guess, yeah. think of Game of Thrones. St. <laughs> <laughs> Edmund, not much is known about him, and I think... St. Edmundsbury, right? It would be fun to do another day 
more about St Edmund and actually he's quite relevant for our current situation because he was patron saint of plagues. <laughs> <laughs> and he there was sort of a, a religious cult as well, the cult of St Edmund. Hang on, so he was a saint and a king? Yeah, but he's a saint later. Right. Oh, king first. He became a martyr. Got and it. then he okay. was, so he was, he was a king, died later a saint. As we'll discover, there was kind of uh, monasteries and nunneries and things dedicated to St. Edmund. The stone is in this, this grove of woods. A footpath or hollow way leads through the grove mm. from the higher grounds of the village down to the floodplains around the River Wensum. Hollow ways, of course, you will know quite a bit about. Because I used to live near Holloway Road. And you do all that reading of Robert McFarlane. Yeah, who did write a book called Holloway. Yeah, can you tell it? What can you tell us? Well, I think it's where the uh, trees grow over a a path, isn't it? To create a, almost like a a tunnel, I suppose. And the the canopy of the trees Mm. forms, you know, an impenetrable ceiling. And you end up with a kind of arched roof to the path you're on. And it's usually like in a slight dip, I think, as well, um, from the surrounding area. Probably between some fields. Yeah. Uh, And yes, Chris used to live near the Holloway. The Holloway of North London. Yes, uh, and what is the strange creature? Oh, you're thinking of the Parkland Walk. Oh. That's not really a Holloway, because that used to be a railway line. So the reason that that is kind of cut out from the surrounding area is because it was a railway line. So it wasn't an old ancient path? No, no. Oh, but it does have a strange creature. A spriggan. Yes, the spriggan. Yeah, which is a a sculpture of like a kind of tree spirit type thing. Yeah. Do you know when the spriggan was put in? I don't, but I don't think it was that long ago. I think maybe like... 70s or 80s, perhaps 60s, 70s, 80s. I'm not entirely sure. But I know there is a Stephen King short yes. story, which uh, I think is called Crouch End. Yes, and I think it's in it. Nightmares and Dreamscapes. Right. If anyone seeks out the Spriggan. I read it a long time ago. Anyway, um, that's got nothing to do with no, uh, Holloways or Holloway Road. Classic. <laughs> <laughs> Classic tangent. But so the Holloway, the Holloway that runs through the King's Grove, goes down, goes up from the village of Ling through the woods and down towards the River Wensum. And as Chris says, it's got this kind of canopy of trees and it's quite a thickly wooded area and this winding pathway goes and the stone sits kind of off to the side from this pathway and it's said of course that this part of the woods is haunted by ghosts all around this grove and around where the stone is and the ghosts are said to be the unfortunate dead from a long ago battle between Saint Edmund and the marauding Danes. Mm-hmm. And the Danes, of course, were part of the Viking hordes. Canute and his gang. Canute uh... was Danish, wasn't he? Oh, no, come on. <laughs> it was the Sorry. great heathen army. Right. The great heathen army came to invade East Anglia from... That was like a football firm. <laughs> from Denmark. And St. Edmund and his army fought valiantly against the Danes, but to no good. The Danes won. The Danes were the victors in this case. And the story goes, or as I say, we might hear more about St. Edmund another day, but taken into the woods and head chopped off. Head off. Martyred. So that's one story about the Great Stone of Ling, that we have these haunted uh, sort of battlefield ghosts haunting this spooky grove and this kind of Yeah, alive strange... with the kind of the, the silence of a Holloway. That's quite yeah, a, yeah. The strange dark trees, even on a bright day, creating a dark canopy above you. So the ghosts from this long ago battle haunt the hollow way and the grove around the Stone of Ling. 
And a story is told about school children in the 1800s, reported in The Lantern. They were allowed out of school early in the winter so that they could pass by the Great Stone of Ling and they <laughs> could get through the grove before it got dark because <laughs> that was when it was said that all the ghosts would start to come out and Brilliant. you would hear the scary sounds and maybe catch a glimpse of something something awful. Can you imagine that today? Adjusting the timings of the school day to account for uh, avoiding supernatural elements on your journey home. <laughs> maybe there should be more of it. <laughs> <laughs> and there's also at Ling... The ruins of a chapel called St Edmund's Chapel, which was a Benedictine nunnery with an accompanying chapel. The ruins are still there and they have their own ghostly story, which is that you can sometimes hear bells ringing on the site of the old chapel. Even the spirits of nuns may be sighted around the area. And they have actually, in excavations for new roads in the 20th century, they did find, kind of near the area of Ling, they did find skeletons, which we don't know. I couldn't find anything more about them, but if there were skeletons that were related to the the nunnery, possibly, or who knows. As I say, I couldn't find any more information. But it's intriguing. So that's, that's one of the kind of prevalent myths about the Great Stone of Ling, which, as I say, is really evocative, this idea of the hollow way, the grove, the dark trees, the sounds, distant sounds of battle, mm-hmm. the school children scurrying along to try and get home before anything sinister strikes them. It's classic, eerie British countryside. Yeah, absolutely. But there are a few other legends of the stone as well, which were reported by the Eastern Daily Press in 1939. The first old legend of the stone tells how on certain nights, unspecified, the boulder will bleed if pricked with a (laughs) pin. We don't know what nights, though. (laughs) It didn't publish the nights in case people just went and tried it and bled it dry. A little calendar. The folklore of a bleeding stone is not unique to Ling by any means. I was going to say, I thought I've heard that before. The source for such stories which do occur around the country may be connected to sacrificial druidic sites. So um, was the stone, you know, once used for such a purpose and then this uh, idea of bloodletting or almost the idea that the stone has kind of absorbed the blood from sacrifices and the, the blood has to get out somehow. There's also, of course suggestions of scientific explanations which is that it's uh, certain minerals mm. within the stone which release like a blood a blood red substance or a kind of liquid or something like that so it could also be connected to the idea of the battle who knows mm. the blood poor old Edmund getting his head off more questions we can't definitively answer all we can do is speculate maybe we make more myths as we do it. The second legend mentioned in this old news story from the 1930s tells that no birds can be heard singing near the stone. That's a, uh, a common thing as well, isn't it? The place where the birds don't sing. Yeah. I did read... <laughs> I was looking... Oh, well, it was a website where people, you know, record their travels around the country and especially there's a lot of interest in a lot of these old boundary stones and these old ritualistic stone sites and things. And it was recorded on the website that a certain woman had visited on a date and it was like, can confirm there were birds singing. So that's, you know, fine. What, what do we make of that? We make of it that she's spoiling all our fun. <laughs> and then the final story about the Great Stone of Ling, it will rear its head just later today, uh, is that there's treasure hidden underneath it. Right. But of course it's massive. Yeah, Who's too heavy move to move it? out of the way. Too heavy to move. And there have been attempts to move the stone to reveal the treasure or at least disprove its existence, but these have been fruitless. It's really big. That's the Great Stone of Ling. 
Great. Next, the Stockton Stone. This is just a short one, just to fling in a bit of a different idea. Partly because I like this one because it's portrait format. A lot of them are landscape format, but the Stockton Stone... Because they've fallen over. Well, they're just... I mean, think about weight. The the chances are it's going to go sideways. But the Stockton Stone is upright, so that's fun. And it's cursed, (laughs) or so they say. You can see the Stockton Stone. You find this funny? I'm just laughing at the idea of somebody cursing a stone. (laughs) (laughs) Well, we don't know what cursed it. How how pointless. We don't know who or what cursed it. Oh, the poor stone stone was living its best possible life until the curse came along, and now... No, the curse goes from the stone to other people. Oh, the stone is the cursor, not the cursee. Possibly. (laughs) If you want to see the Stockton Stone, all you need to do is drive along the A146 from Beckles to Norwich. And you will see the stone standing at the side of the road. It's sandstone. This one's smaller. It's about 75 centimetres high and 60 around. Just a few tonnes of weight for this one. Not if you as... wanted to look under it for treasure, then you've got a better chance. Well, it has been moved a few times. There are records of this stone being moved. When it got in the way of roads. Or yeah, somewhere. I think that's one of the key times it was moved. But it's clear that the stone's been regarded as significant for quite some time. The Town Book of Stockton records in 1645 that a small sum had been paid for the putting up of stulps to the stone. What is a stulp? Good question, and I had fun trying to find this out. <laughs> So I think a stulp is like a post or a stick. It seems like these were put there to support the rock. Right. So it was it was being used as like a boundary marker or a wayfinder for Stockton. And it seems like the church, the parish had responsibility for looking after it. And so in the town book was recorded that they had paid out for these stulps to be put in to keep the stone upright, basically. It's also got some nails poked into it. But I don't think they've got anything to do with stulps. As for the curse, local wisdom has long regarded the stone as being cursed in some way. When the news came that the stone was to be moved in the 1930s, as you say, probably for the roads to be put in, there were misgivings in the local community. It was recorded that people were unhappy with the idea of the stone having to be moved. Bad luck would befall anyone who laid hands upon the stone and tried to move it. Exactly. And apparently, one workman involved in the project did perish. That's all I know about it. <laughs> it was a dangerous business, wasn't I it? I just back wanted in the day. to throw it in there. A perishing workman. A perishing workman, a cursed stone, an upright stone. Just that was a little palate cleanser. Do we know how he perished? No. Oh. He perished. Okay. I mean, you know, everyone, the locals, per- everyone perishes. The misgivings of the locals were confirmed. But that's the end of the Stockton stone. Right. I just wanted to fling it in there, as I said. about it. But now we come to the fun stone. Is that, is that its official name? The Merton Stone of Fun is called... No, it's not. It's called the Disco Stone. <laughs> <laughs> it's not. It's just called the Merton Stone. Let's hear all about it, though. So the Merton Stone is... It's sandstone as well. It's perhaps from Scandinavia or Sunderland. <laughs> Very similar yeah. in my mind. It's travelled here again on the glaciers and the merton stone in appearance is uh, notable because it has a large and attractive ammonite fossil on the side so that's interesting mm. in itself our final stone today is the largest and perhaps the most unusual in terms of legends this one is located near the village of merton more in the west of norfolk the stone is located in a sort of pit and some of the pictures i've seen of it have water 
around part of the stone and it kind of rears out of it like a iceberg I guess and then other pictures there's no water but there's loads of undergrowth so a lot of it is kind of covered up by various climbing plants and trees and things it's reckoned though to be at least 20 tons in weight that's heavy yeah i mean i haven't really got much conception of weight i don't think what's a a car is like a ton is it it's a real big heavy stone eddie hall couldn't lift it (laughs) i think the most eddie hall has lifted has been well i think wasn't that deadlift where his nose started to bleed 500 pounds maybe but again my knowledge of imperial measurements is so poor that i couldn't tell you how many pounds there are in a ton eddie hall britain's strongest man world's strongest man former Former, former. Hero of Stoke. Champion cake Eater. And everyone's favourite strongman. Unless you're from Iceland. Even then, I can't believe Thor's their favourite. Eddie Hall's deadlift record is about half a tonne. And this stone is? 20 tonnes, approximate. Well, you have confirmed I mean, then. approximate. It's too heavy for Eddie Hall or even any man alive even to lift. Even 40 Eddie Halls would struggle. 40 Eddie Halls. Half a ton. No, that's 20 tons. Yeah. So maybe 40 Eddie Halls could do it. Right. But not, I mean. It's impractical, isn't it? How would they all get around the stone? He's quite short as well. So I, I don't know. I think Eddie Hall might struggle. We've been watching The Strongest Man in History, and it's just Eddie Hall and some Americans, American strongmen doing ridiculous things. But Eddie Hall's the best. We all agree. Even if he doesn't every time win. Even if his bicep has become detached <laughs> from his arm. Eddie, no! <laughs> To be a strong man, it's just an absolute physical gruel fest, isn't it? Yeah. It's miserable in every way. Yeah, the chance of uh, injuring yourself seems to be pretty high. I think. That's why Eddie Hall bowed out after winning Strongman once. He was like, I know I can do it. Well, I don't also, need to keep proving it. He got all like, the media work. He's a good presenter. He became a strong man in the right time. Oh, I do love Eddie Hall. But what I'm saying is, if on a good day, 40 Eddie Halls could try and lift this stone. But could they succeed? And actually... Given what I'm about to tell you next, I'm not sure we want 40 Eddie Halls to try and lift this stone. What's beneath the stone? Oh, well, it's not what's beneath the stone, Chris. Let's hear some more and try and maybe forget that we've suggested 40 Eddie Halls would try and uh, move it. Okay, so there's some suggestion it's the largest glacial erratic, not just in the county, but in the whole of the UK. Although Yorkshire make a claim as well. Of course they do. Whatever the f- uh, the case, it's surely very large, and there are two main legends attached to it. What would you like to hear first? Orgies or Armageddon? <laughs> Make bo- your choice! <laughs> can we have them both at the same time? I mean, we can have them both, but I'm going to have to tell you one before the other. <laughs> I'd just like to imagine the, you know, an Armageddon-inducing orgy. Sure. Or a... no. Orgy-inducing orgy Armageddon. Armageddon. <laughs> <laughs> Should we start with orgies? Yeah, why not? This is why we don't want to imagine... Uh, 20, Ooh. 40 Eddie Halls. All greased up. Oh, God. So here's here's some orgy talk. M.W. Burgess in Lantern Magazine reports on this. He spoke to the On Richard de Grey, whose family have long been the barons in the area for Can many years. Can you just years. say that name again? On Richard de Grey. What's on, as in right honourable? Right, okay. Yeah. Yeah. De Grey tells that his grandfather, the fifth Earl of Walsingham, Walsham, Walsingham, Walsham, he was called Thomas de Grey. Right. The fifth Earl of Walsham, Thomas de Grey, set out in the mid-19th century to move the vast boulder, apparently in the spirit of inquiry. See what was underneath. Exactly. Could it be moved? What's under there? What's going on? How big's it? He gathered together many stout men and women of the village with, says 
Richard de Grey a lot of beer to help them on their way, get the locals in, get the beer in. They tried via a system of roping and pulling to move the rock from the location in which it had sat for many thousands of years. They did not succeed in the attempt. The boulder stood firm. However, the whole experience apparently left the men and women of the village feeling rather amorous and excited. And as Richard de Grey says, an erotic debauch soon followed. (laughs) An erotic debauch. I'm surprised they had any energy left. Well, they were fueled on, apparently, by their attempts to move the rock. And Richard de Grey said that even in his younger years, you might hear the old folk of the village referring to one of their number thus. Ah, he's one of them what come the time of the old stoon. Conceived at the stone orgy. Exactly. Wow. He's one of them what come at the time of the old stone. Yes. Yeah, conceived during the sexual frenzy of the stone moving attempt. Looking back on those days fondly. Yeah. So let's not think of Forty Eddie Halls, please. Oh, uh, that's the that's what the internet was made for. <laughs> shipping Eddie Hall with Eddie Hall thirty nine <laughs> times over. And then just one Brian Shaw creeps in. <laughs> oh my word. Um so it then followed that a tradition grew up that anyone who tried to move the Merton stone would be swept up in a lustful frenzy and that orgies would be on the card soon after. Right. What a saucy time. <laughs> Well, people proactively going out there and uh, thinking, uh, Uh, I won't do my chances any harm if I try and move this stone. Maybe, but you can't just one man attempt on your own. I think the stone would see that that's not serious. You have to put in a serious effort. Right, with a group of people. I think so, yeah. You have to look like you're really taking it seriously. Richard de Grey also tells Burgess of the Lantern that he's heard a similar tale relating to a large boulder at Hartest, Village Green, which is another nearby village. This boulder was not so large, and an attempt to move it in 1713 was successful. Once again, an erotic debauch ensued. (laughs) Can you imagine it? I mean, yes, I suppose. Um, And Burgess of the Lantern, he ponders whether or not ancient fertility rites were held at these rocks. Right, and they left some kind of... Erotic trace. Exactly. Some be kind up of by the stone movers. erotic energy is still attached to the stones, which inspires this uh, erotic fervour. He sounds rather wistful about it. All. I bet he does. If you're, you know, M.R. Burgess or whatever his name is, sat at home over your typewriter, Just wistfully hearing... imagining the days of prehistoric erotic. Yeah. No, no, this was in like the 1700s and the 1800s that these erotic took place. <laughs> so that's fun. We're a long way from St. Edmund and his bleeding stone now. Yeah, I mean, when was the last time anyone tried to move the stone? Uh, Is it on record? I don't think there are any 20th century no. attempts. Seems surprising, really, given the results. I would have thought your yeah, 20th century stroke, 21st century man would be all but up for a bit of that. I wonder if we got more Puritan. More Puritan? In the 20th century. Mm, but not in the 21st century, come on. But maybe people have You've forgotten. You've seen WAP? Maybe... <laughs> forgotten you're saying we should tell cardi b and megan the stallion get yourselves down to merton do yourselves a grammy performance yeah. from the top of the merton stone yeah you could have um it'd people... be like the scene at the end of perfume you know yes just a giant orgy well it's interesting um i just wonder if people have forgotten about the old stories well, let's see maybe upon production of this podcast maybe we'll turn the news on the next day yeah just be a writhing 50, mass of bodies. 50 people involved in an erotic debauch. <laughs> Eastern Daily Press would be up in arms. It might be debauch, but I like to say debauch. <laughs> <laughs> You've debauched it. Debauch. So that's orgies, but what about Armageddon? 
You'd forgotten, hadn't you, that Armageddon was coming? Nope. I imagine the two were always closely linked. The other older legend about the Merton Stone also relates to attempts to move it. It is said that should the rock ever be successfully moved, an uncontrollable torrent of water would gush out and engulf the whole of the earth. Like WAP. <laughs> Sorry. Oh, my words. Well, this, You've seen the video. This has taken a turn that I really didn't anticipate, to be honest. <laughs> a torrent of water would gush out and engulf right. the whole of the earth, and that would be Armageddon. Because basically it's like a plug. <laughs> the end of everything. I guess so, yes. A 20-ton 20, a 20 plug. So we can see that the Merton Stone has perhaps the most exciting of folklore. Yeah. I mean, it's all very well. Ling is interesting because I like the... Spookiness of it. I like the spookiness mm. and the sort of old British earthy feel of yeah. it. But I also, the oak trees and the holly. Yeah. I really also like this talk of orgies and Armageddon. <laughs> it seems for the 21st century, more towards orgies and Armageddon, I think. Well, we're going back to those ways. Is that what you're saying? Maybe. Maybe it's time. Maybe it's time. So that's just really a taster of the huge amounts of stone folklore all around East Anglia. And that's just a really scraping the surface with a couple of the most interesting stones. But there's there's loads. So many stones. I can't add anything more at this stage. Well, that was much more interesting than I imagined at the start of this. I should have immediately shouted orgies and Armageddon. Yeah. And then we'd have been on to something. Eddie Hall, I should have shouted. <laughs> Whap! There we go. Have Great. you got any anything to add at the end? No, not at all. Nothing. I'm Great. astonished. Open mouth. Okay. Hooray. Well, let's leave it there then. Um, thanks for listening. I hope you enjoyed our stories of, of stones and that it was more interesting than you thought it might be initially. Uh, and we'll be back soon with more stories of strangeness, maybe some crime, maybe some death, maybe some orgies of East Anglia. Thanks very much for listening. Bye-bye.